Welcome to Talking Tax, a Bloomberg Tax podcast. In this series, we talk to attorneys, accountants, and other tax professionals about the latest developments in the world of tax. I'm your host, Andrea Ben-Yosef, and we're excited that you're here with us today. I am here today with Bradley Borden and Alan Lederman to discuss Opportunity Zones and Funds. These were created by the 2017 Tax Act to encourage business investment in low-income communities. They have attracted a lot of interest because of the tax incentives, including the exemption and deferral of capital gains. The IRS released proposed regulations on October 19th that gave practitioners some answers. Bradley Borden is a professor of law at Brooklyn Law School. He is a past chair of the ABA Tax Session Committee on Sales, Exchanges, and Basis. Alan Lederman is a shareholder at the Florida law firm of Gunster. He is also a past chair of the ABA Tax Session Committee on Sales, Exchange, and Basin. So welcome to both of you. And Alan, why don't we start with you? What exactly are opportunity zones and funds and these other terms we're hearing? Entry opportunity zones are any of the 8,700 census tracts selected by the state governors and approved by the federal treasury department. Opportunity zones are located in every state and territory. For example, in Florida, 10% of all the census tracts located in every Florida county qualify because there are so many opportunity zones, which are particularly dense in urban areas, it's typically feasible for any business to be located or relocated to an opportunity zone. Qualified Opportunity Funds, or QOFs, are corporations or partnerships or multiple-member LLCs that invest directly or through other companies in businesses whose tangible property is located in opportunity zones. So why is there so much interest in these now? Uh, Because of the federal tax incentives for Qualified Opportunity Funds. These are, first, the exemption from income tax of post-investment appreciation on gain on sale of an interest in a QOF after 10 years of ownership, and second, the deferral until 2026 and partial reduction in 2026 of gains invested in qualified opportunity funds. In addition, uh, businesses in uh, in opportunity zones often can also benefit from other federal tax incentives, such as the New Markets Tax Credit, program. Indeed, the Opportunity Zones were selected from New Markets Tax Credit eligible districts. And further, Opportunity Zones were often chosen by the state governors from census tracts eligible for state tax incentives. All right. So, Brad, can you talk about some of the most important things that the proposed regs and IRS guidance came out with? Sure. Well, the questions that Section uh, 1400Z-2 which is the section that governs qualified opportunity funds. One of the questions that it raised was to what type of gain it applies to. Uh, The the caption in the legislative history both referred to capital gain, suggesting that it only applies to capital gain. But the text of the statute says, um, refers to gain from any property, which would appear to include ordinary income. There's some question about whether ordinary income is really gain. Uh, but it, but anyway, the IRS and Treasury and the proposed regulations take the position that Section 1400Z-2 only applies to capital gain. 
And the proposed regs say that actually use the term eligible gain, the saying that the deferral and non-recognition only apply to eligible gain, and they define eligible gain as gain that is treated as capital gain for federal income tax purposes. So that would tell us that um, the provision applies to long-term capital gain, short-term capital gain. Um, then if within long-term capital gain, we have unrecaptured Section 1250 gain. We have collectibles gain. And then there's also Section 1231 gain. If it's treated as capital gain, then um, this, these proposed regs are, or the IRS is taking the position that um, 1400Z-2 would apply to the Section 1231 gain that's treated as capital gain. I guess there was some question, and maybe some people would still wonder whether this definition of eligible gain is broad enough to include qualified dividend income. Uh, if we look at Section 1H, it says that the caption there says that qualified dividend income is taxed as capital gain, which um, arguably is different from the language in the proposed regs that says treated as capital gain. There are multiple provisions throughout the code that treat capital gain differently from other type of income. For example, the um, Capital losses can only be deducted for an individual up to the extent of a capital gain plus um, $3,000. Corporations can only deduct capital losses to the extent of capital gain. So it seems to the, the proposed regs appear to be referring to that type of capital gain. So those are yeah. That, so that's a um, I guess that point of clarity is important. Um, it prevents the IRS from taking the position that 1400 Z doesn't apply to ordinary income from operations or other you know, sell of inventory. So did the regs address, the proposed regs, address anything else besides capital gains? They, Alan, do you want to talk a little bit about the 10-year rule? Yes. Yeah, there's, there's quite, uh, one of the uh, other important uh, aspects of the proposed regs is to, they alleviate the problem that was perceived with respect to the expiration of the designation of the opportunity zones. The opportunity zone designations are good for 10 years. Uh, and as a practical matter, that means that they expire in 2028. The large benefit of the Qualified Opportunity Fund program is that sales after 2028 qualify for a tax exemption if, uh, if those funds have been held for 10 years. Consequently, investors were wondering when the zone ex expired, did the tax exemption evaporate with it? And the IRS favorably ruled that the tax exemption with respect to the sale of fund interest continued through 2048, even if the zone designation expired in 2028. So that basically gives investors confidence that they will qualify for their projected tax benefits uh, that are made before the uh, program expires. And that's another reason for the heavy interest in this in this subject. Any other items? Yeah, yeah. I guess so one, one question would be how would the holders of interest in pass-through entities treat gain that is allocated to them? And the proposed regulations say that the uh, capital gain dividend from a REC or a REIT 
is comes within the definition of eligible gain. And so any such gain recognized by the holder of holders of interest in RICs and REITs can reinvest that gain. And then partners and um, shareholders and S-corporations who have gain allocated to them can also um, reinvest that gain in qualified opportunity funds if the partnership does not make an election and reinvest in qualified opportunity funds. So an interesting thing with a RIC or REIT, the capital gain um, is going to be treated as recognized by the, the holder of the interest at the end of the taxable year of those entities. With a partnership or an S corporation, um, the gain is going to be treated as recognized at the end of the partnership or S corporation's tax taxable year, unless the partner or the shareholder is aware of the date on which the entity recognized the capital gain, in which case they can use that date for their 180-day period. So if you have a situation where a partnership sells property and recognizes gain in January, for example, recognizes capital gain, the partnership does not elect to reinvest um, the proceeds in a qualified opportunity fund. And the partner is not aware of that gain until the end of the year. The 180-day period to reinvest begins at the end of the year. If the partner is aware that the partnership recognized that gain in January, then the partner can use that date as the start of the 180-day period and make the investment within that period. So it provides the partner some flexibility. There's a question I think Alan's going to address that relates to what percent of the assets of a qualified opportunity fund need to be invested in qualified opportunity zone property. Right. The, the, the IRS proposed regulations clarify that when dealing with a qualified opportunity zone business, which is a business that a qualified opportunity fund can invest in, uh, that particular business can qualify as long as it has 70% of its uh, assets in qualified opportunity zone property uh since the fund only has to since funds only have to have 90% of their assets in qualified property the net practical effect is that uh in some cases you may have as low as 90 times 70 or 63% of the assets in a uh, qualified property which gives some flexibility in having non-qualified property within a qualified opportunity fund structure. Right, and one and one question that comes up is, so so to, to have so qualified opportunities on property is property that is either original use for the fund or for one of the qualifying businesses, or it's property that is substantially improved. And so, if the property is going to be substantially improved, you have a situation where money is invested and um, may not be used for a period of time. And substantially improved is an improvement that doubles the basis of the property within a 30-month period. And so the proposed regulations provide that um, there's a working capital exception to the, to the percentage rules that Alan just spoke about. And it says that if there is a written plan in place to use capital within a 31-month period, 
then um, that capital will not count against the fund for purposes of the 90%, uh, for purposes of the 70% rule. And so this allows investors to um, invest in an opportunity fund and then have the fund create a plan and use the contributed money or the invested money within a 31-month period either to acquire or to substantially improve um, property held by the fund. So the 31-month period is different from the 30-month period um, during which substantial during which the property has to be substantially improved. So what that suggests is a fund may receive the capital and have a month to begin the improvements and then once the improvements are begun has 30 months to com- to complete the improvements. And so in such a situation the 31 month period and the 30 month period would end simultaneously. Alternatively if the fund was to acquire property on the date that the um, capital is contributed, then the 30-month period would end prior to the 31-month period, and I guess that would be a situation where you know a fund may um, complete the improvements to property and then need personal property to operate. You know, maybe if there's a um, an office building or something that is being substantially improved, an old warehouse that's being turned into an office or a shopping center or something. And the substantial improvements to the real property are completed within 30 months. There would still be another month left under the 31-month um, working capital rule to go out and acquire the personal property that's needed for that. All right. Well, I know that there's a lot of um, different items, but for now, I just want to ask you: Did this give practitioners a level of comfort in going forward with these funds, these qualified opportunity funds and zones? But. Uh, Actually, yeah, so I mean, I'll address that first and let Alan talk a little bit about it. I think that the proposed regs provide information um, for people who are interested in investing in real estate in these opportunity zones. The, the rules are very um, real estate-centric. They talk about acquiring and substantially imp- improving property. And so they provide some direction and some guidance that will be very helpful for people in the real estate industry. Um, I, I don't know what you think, Alan, but I, I, I think that the um, yes, I, I think I think it's if especially for people with specific projects in mind, the fact that they can create a subsidiary entity and uh, and and invest there and have the 31 month plan to commit their assets will be very useful. I think for blind pools, uh, it may be problematical for those that do not have uh, plans in place and, a, and, and plan to raise money and then look for uh, specific projects. They may have a problem. And I think also the uh, regs are somewhat deficient in terms of operating businesses that are not real estate because the 31-month plans are only applicable uh, with respect to businesses who plan to improve tangible tangible property and not those that are creating intangible property like patents, software, uh, game applications, etc. So I think that is where the regulations are somewhat lacking. Yeah, I mean, as an example of that, the the IRS published Revenue Ruling 2018-29 that talks about double the basis threshold and says basically that in considering whether the the fund has satisfied the double the basis requirement for substantially improving property, the the, the, the fund would only consider the basis of 
improvements on land that is acquired doesn't have to take into account the basis of the acquired property. So just another example of how these rules are very real estate-centric. All right, well, let me ask you one final question. You, too, wrote an article for the Real Estate Journal pointing out that replacing real estate by buying real estate in a qualified opportunity fund is often better than replacing it under the 1031 like-kind exchange rules. Can you just explain why? Uh, Yes, our article pointed out that uh, one of the great advantages of the uh, QOF program is that after 10 years, the property can be resold uh, without any tax, that is, any tax on either the uh, uh, depreciation that's taken post-acquisition, there's no recapture on that, but in addition, any price appreciation over the price paid by the QOF also avoids tax after 10 years. Uh, These regulations, I think, increase the, these proposed regulations would increase the benefit of uh, Section uh, 1400Z-2 over Section 1031 uh, because much real estate in America is owned by partnerships. And under these regulations, they clarify that if a partnership sells real estate um, and some of the partners can choose to roll the gain into a QOF, and some partners can choose not to. One of the problems now under existing 1031 is that if a partnership sells real estate, some part and and some partners choose to take cash, and some people, some partners choose to continue. They ha- you have to try and devise a structure that's problematic with drop and swap or a similar structure to try and get that result. But these regulations specifically contemplate that if non-opportunity zone property or opportunity zone property is sold. Uh, before 2027, the gain can be rolled on a partner-by-partner basis or taken out on a partner-by-partner basis as the partners desire. The other uh, big advantage of this, the proposed regs, is that uh, much more time is available. Under Section 1031, it's 180 days from the sale of the old property that the new real estate has to be replaced. As Brad pointed out, if there's a sale on January 1st, in this particular set of proposed regulations, the 180 days doesn't start running until the end of the partnership year, which could be almost 12 months later. And in addition, uh, 31 months from that is allowed to expend the entire money. So I think on forward exchanges uh, in which uh, new construction is contemplated, uh, these regulations could largely supplant Section 1031. There's a third advantage in that the proposed regulations provide that uh, if someone uh, doesn't t- can take cash and put it in his pocket and invest in the QOF using notes, whereas under Section 1031, uh, you're required, you cannot put cash in your pocket. You have to reinvest the full amount and try and get the cash out later. So I think it's going to be. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a, a big advantage, a potential um, uh, competitor for Section 1031 in the real estate area. It's going to be interesting to watch what happens to prices in the opportunity zones of property, because you would expect them to see some inflation as money moves into these properties. And then once the um, benefits burn off, what will happen to the price? So... It may be that the appreciation may not be as great in the qualified opportunity funds after acquisition as compared to investments outside of um, opportunity zones. So, it's, I mean, the, the the math that we did in that article, the assumption was that property that was acquired with 1031 money would perform the same as property acquired um, in an opportunity zone in a, quali- in a, in a QOF. 
so that, I mean, that, that part would be speculation and, uh, you know, just have to wait over time and see what happens to the value of these properties in the, in, in the different, um, types of investments. Yes. Well, people are going to be looking closely and uh, the IRS unveils more regulations maybe, and people get used to it. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of activity. So thank you both for talking with me today, and I hope you'll talk to me again as things progress. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Tax. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloomberg Tax and subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Tune in next time for more analysis on the newest tax issues. From the nation's capital, I'm Andrea Benyosef.